and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Bailey's Horse Feeds. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, we will be well into both the Defender Burley Horse Trials and the FEI European Show Jumping Championships by the time you listen to this, so I hope you're enjoying a fabulous week of horse sport. This month on the podcast, we're delving into Burley's history and chatting to Caroline Powell, the New Zealand rider who won the event in 2010. She looks back on her remarkable partnership with the much-envied little grey, Lenamore. He's still my idol. Um, it was nearly a marriage. We sort of loved each other and sort of hated each other at times. And he just was that special little horse. And I think he catapulted me right up into the stars and, um, you know, kept us there for quite a long time. We'll then hear from Bailey's Horse Feeds nutritionist, Emma Short, who will give us some advice on feeding the competition horse. When a horse's workload is increasing, their nutrient requirements also increase. And choosing the right feed is really important to complement the forage that, that you have available. More from Emma later. For now, pull down your stirrups and let's get started. Well, I'm delighted now to welcome this week's podcast guest, Caroline Powell. It will be the week of Burley Horse Trials when you listen to this. And Caroline is obviously a former winner of that British Autumn Five Star at Burley, having taken the trophy in 2010 on Lenamore, known at home as Ed. Hello, Caroline. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. How are you getting on? Good, thank you. It's great to speak to you. And we are obviously going to chat a bit about Burley, about the wonderful Lenamore, and about that amazing win particularly. Let's start at the beginning of your Burley memories. What is your very earliest memory of going to Burley, hearing about Burley, perhaps watching it? What's your very first memory of Burley? Uh, well, funny enough, um, when I first came over, um, I worked for Ian Starks, and my first experience of Burley as such was really going and, and grooming for him. Um, my first ride was, I think it was 1999, on a horse called Copy Ollie Bird. Um, and he was very ditchy and very um, spooky, I think the word would be, um, and quite quirky. So um, we actually got him around, around Burley, and uh, I think that was sort of the beginning of the Burley you know, dreams. Well, it's not a bad place to start working for Ian Stark, one of the great cross-country riders of his generation, and to get a bit of experience. But you were saying the horse that you first ran around at Burley was a bit ditchy, which I wouldn't have thought was ideal because there are always big ditches at Burley, aren't there? And no, but it wasn't. But I suppose my, my arrival from New Zealand to the UK wouldn't be um, that unique to most um, event riders. Um, you know, I sort of came over and, and didn't really have a base or a job. Did, well, didn't even really know that I was going to be doing eventino. Was in a yard in Scotland, um, point pointing to start with, and they had an advanced horse called Calibre. So I started riding him, um, just playing around and schooling him, um, and ended up riding him at Bramham. So, you know, I never really came over to set my goals on being an event rider or doing what I've done for the last 20 or 30 or years. <laughs> um, it's just sort of something that's happened and, and developed, and each door that's opened, I've sort of jumped through and taken with both hands. and and run with it so you know I, I didn't come over here to do what I've done but it certainly has worked out well <laughs> it certainly has and before any we go any further down that specific Burley road I think we should dial the clock back and talk about your background with Lenamore tell us how you first came to to know him and to ride him uh well I was working at Starks and uh Lexi used to come for lessons with Ian and she was always busy at, at uni and then um you know she had a was was just about to sort of get a full-time job 
and she kept saying to me, if, if I can't ride him, then you're going to ride him. And, you know, at that age, I think I was sort of, God, in my early 20s, and I was like, yeah, yeah, wouldn't that be amazing? You know, everybody's dream, wouldn't it, to be handed an advanced horse? Um, and anyway, Lexi went around um, Burley um, in, God, 93, 94, I think, um, and he, he's, he was quite naughty. He, he, he sort of gave her quite a hard time. Um, and then she did one more year on him, and she was at Starks um, just after, or just after Bramham, and she was like, you know, would you like the ride on him? And I was like, oh, God, yeah. No, I'd love it. I would absolutely love it. And I remember it was the year um, of the Olympics, and I had um, softly, softly, I think it was, um, and, they, and they wanted me to go out and be a reserve. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to Blair and ride this new horse that I've got because it's, you know, yeah, I, there was no chance that Soft was ever going to get on on the team and they wanted me to travel out and I was just so excited to have Lena Moore in the stables that I was I was going to I was off to Blair um where he actually he was second up there and that was sort of the beginning of our of our trembles I suppose yeah so he was second in what was then the CCI three star long what the the four star long level now as you say having sort of been ridden by his owner Lexi McKinnon now Jackson and, and produced all the way up the levels by her as an amateur rider quite an achievement and and it, although he became a very consistent horse he wasn't necessarily the easiest horse and he was certainly a character wasn't he <laughs> he was quite naughty um you know Lex and and Janie did the most fantastic job and actually right the way through his career Janie always did all the, the first part of the sitting work on him, and that was just the routine that, that Ed sort of lived in. Um, but, you know, they were always so involved in what we did with him from day to day and things. And, um, you know, Lex, God, the, he was very, very naughty, and I remember seeing him out thinking, oh, God, <laughs> and he was bucking in. And not not dirty, just just naughty, just full of it. Um, you know, he, he was the best evader of work, although he worked himself quite hard. Um, Janie always used to ride him when she was um, getting him fit and lead something else where I was always, I'd, I would ride something else and lead him just because he just jogged the whole way. Um, so he, in, in one way, he was very within himself the way that he went. In another way, he was actually quite hard on himself because he kept himself so fit. <laughs> yeah, so Lexi's mother, Jane Lee, obviously a really big part of, of his career all the way through as as well as Lexi. And after that second at Blair, he went to Badminton in 2005, finished 14th. It was his first five-star run with you. What do you remember about that sort of step up to five-star? Um, he'd had a really good good sort of going up to up to that badminton. Um, and also it was with the steeplechase as well. So, you know, the good old days where it was proper old-fashioned <laughs> um, eventing. And, you know, that took quite a good edge off him. And I think, you know, that was probably the first time that we had had you know, the steeplechase to, to, to put before and it really did help him. And, you know, because he was he was such a tough fit little thing, he actually needed it just to, to wind down a bit and, and get his get his head in gear. Um but it was you know, it was the God you that was actually my second badminton. So, you know, to, to do that one and come fourteenth. I think the first one was eleventh on Dalliance and then um and then the second one was badminton, you know, and being fourteenth it was kinda like a dream come true. It's kinda like winning it really. <laughs> <laughs> and then went to Burley that autumn and finished fifth. Um, his his first first run round Burley with you. Do you remember that one too? Um, yeah, no, that was yeah. God, they're all so special. And you know, each time that he went to Burley or went badminton, you know, Burley in particular, he loved because it was his type of type of ground. Um, when I was up in Scotland, we had the most fantastic. Um, I called them childless, but they weren't. You could only canter up them because the hills were so so steep. 
Um, so, you know, that was kind of his terrain that, that we trained him on the whole time. And he absolutely adored the undulations and because he was so small and, and um, you know, athletic, he, he really did cope with those quite well. So Burley really was a, a really good course for him. Yeah, I remember him as such a neat little horse and very, like you say, athletic in his in his body. Although he was a small horse, he was really an athlete, wasn't he? Yeah, no, he was. You know, and where where I think he to start with, he was very naughty because he was able to be so athletic and sort of jink out when he wanted to. It actually, you know, towards the end, it became our our strength. I think because he could put himself anywhere, and he he knew how far he could jump and how high he needed to go. So, you know, you always felt very safe on him, although he was a bit naughty. <laughs> a very clever horse as well as uh, as well as a little bit naughty and and he became one of the most consistent five-star horses of his generation seven badminton completions five birdie completions it must have been amazing to keep going back to those events again and again on a horse that by then you knew so well yeah no it was but you know we had a we had a little difficulties on the way um the little run outs here and there and it did take us a wee while to sort of form that relationship and him to trust me and for me to trust him on the lines and stuff and even to this day I still walk um lines and sort of think god you know on Lena Moore I would be riding this a little bit different because she had to just be that little bit a little bit cuter with him um so kind of tricky in that way but he was pretty cool <laughs> he was a very cool horse and let's talk about that amazing win in 2010 starting off from the beginning of the week let's talk about the dressage phase first of all by then he'd become a pretty good performer on the flat hadn't he yeah yeah again you know everything like like all horses that you know they they need produced for that day and he we had him he arrived at Burley and I remember the stable boys um you know I put the ramp down and they were like wow he looks good this week and uh you know that was that was really quite quite nice to hear and gave us a wee bit of confidence because they would see all the horses coming in um and he absolutely performed beautifully the whole week it was like a dream come true it's like Lena Moore that we didn't know um he canted up the center line to the most beautiful teeth I sort of patted him thinking something's got to go wrong at some stage um and you know thankfully it, it didn't we had a, an absolutely perfect week and there wasn't one bit of them that I could even say needed needed tweaking that that week it was unbelievable his cross country was foot perfect, and actually it came back up on um, on Facebook the other day, and I watched it, and it, yeah, it really goosebump pulls back onto me. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he jumped the most beautiful round, and you know he would have the odd pole, only the odd pole. So the pressure, you know, in the show jumping when he was when he was a consistent uh, clear round jumper, you know, you, that sort of goes on to you as well. So, um, but he actually finished, I think, inside the time as well. So. He was an absolute dream that whole week and, and you know, Lexi and Janie and, and I were just, you know, we were all the work that had gone into him and, and all those bad days because there's so many bad days along with the good days that you've got to got to remember. Um, you know, it was just a dream come true. Yeah, and he finished on his dressage score. As you say, you can't can't ask for a whole lot more than that. And did you feel the pressure going in on that final day in the lead, in the show jumping to get that get that four star as it was at the time, five star now win? Yeah, well, I mean, the funny thing was, I think Lexi was getting married the week after, a couple of weeks after, and I said to her, Lexi, I haven't got your wedding present. What do you want me to get you? Um, and she said, I'll just win, win Burley. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so I was sort of cantering into the arena. Um, and, you know, I'm a little bit of a what will happen will happen, and it's not through lack of trying, but, you know, if it's our if it's our, our week, then it's our week. And um, I think, you know, because my, my head can do that, I can sort of drop a lot of stuff at the gate and go in and actually ride what's underneath and, um, you know, it's quite a it's quite a, a good thing to be able to do, and he yeah he really did jump the most beautiful round and and uh, yeah no he was he was great. 
Yeah. And as you say, Lexi got married the following week to uh, to Henry Jackson. And I know that Lenamore was a, a guest of honour at the wedding on that day. It must have been pretty special. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a lovely day for, for them and lovely day for us to be there as well. And, you know, Ed, he was all dressed up and he looked absolutely amazing and actually behaved beautifully. So he certainly knew by that stage because he was getting on by then, you know, where, where his days to behave were. <laughs> he knew how to time it. Yeah, he was born in '93, so he was 17 when he uh, when he got that that Burley win under his belt. Yeah. So uh, not bad. And again, you know, one of the soundest horses I've ever taken to to a, a five star. Yeah, and of course, in between all those five star appearances, he also represented New Zealand at, at three championships. He took team bronze at London 2012 when he was 19 years old. That must have been pretty cool as well. <laughs> he was pretty cool. Um, you know, he. But again, I think because he was that little butty type um, and, and Janie Stool, age 19, was doing all his walking before um, he came back to us um, in the January. You know, she, she just had her routine and, and I do put a lot of down to what, what he did down to her, her work um, in those initial, initial cold, wet months. Yeah, and I think that's something that maybe we don't see as much in the sport now in the days of short format, people really putting in those those miles of slow work that maybe do contribute to the real longevity of those those horses. Yeah, I mean, it's go. hard. Everything's changed so much. It's hard because cars are, are faster and people don't stop as much. And to actually get horses onto the road now is a bit of a, you know, it's, it's quite scary. Um, you know, it, it just has changed. Everything's changed so much, isn't it, from, from those times? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not that long ago, but as you say, things have things have definitely changed. And final question on Lenamore: What? How would you sort of sum up his place in your career and 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 what he did for you as a as a rider, Caroline? Oh, right at the top, <laughs> he's he's still my idol. Um, we had uh, um, it was nearly a marriage. We sort of loved each other and sort of hated each other at times. And um, you know, he he just was that special little horse, and I think he. He catapulted me right up into the into the stars, and um, you know kept us there for quite a long time. He was he's so special. Um, yeah. I remember the day that we actually had to retire him, and it was just cold and manky day, and he just did not want to work. And we always said that we were going to, you know, the day the day he said the first day he said that he didn't want to come out and work was the day that he was, you know, we were going to retire him, and it was such a horrible phone call to. To Lexi, um, but you know, I still think it was the best—the best thing that we ever did because he finished at the top. He still was very sound. He just was, you know, twenty years old, <laughs> and he had a lovely ten years in retirement. And uh, I know did some hunting with Lexi, and uh, so he had a had a good life after his event in Korea. Oh, he had well. the most amazing life, and you know, even right up until to his death, he was he was so true to himself, and you know, he knew exactly what he was doing right the way through his whole life. He, he was he was quite a calculated little horse. <laughs> and he was actually only put down in, in January this year when he was thirty years old, a final goodbye to him. So an amazing little amazing little horse in in the sport and in, in your career. Before we finish, Caroline, I think we should talk about your current top horse and the lovely mare Greenacres Special Cavalier. She's only ten years old, but she's a really exciting prospect at the moment, isn't she? Yeah, no, I'm really excited about her. She, um, you know, she she's a jumper, and um, it really has sort of taken her just a wee bit of time because she's a she's a big long mare, so it's taken her a bit of time to get used to, you know, the ups and downs and and getting her body connected. So we have sort of run her at probably a level higher than what she um, probably should have been. But then you, you know, once you get to that fourth row and you get the lines and you know you get everything sort of trained into them, they then become very very reliable horses. So. 
um, with sort of, you know, she's 10 years old now and she's done two five stars. Um, so we're quite excited about her and, and what she might be able to do in the future. Yeah, fifth at Poe last year on her five-star debut, completed at badminton in those really tough conditions this spring. And then recently seventh at Arken, and that's such a crack competition. That must have been an exciting result to get under your belt oh, with her. Oh, Arken was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, Arken is absolutely unbelievable when you have a good result and your horses run well. Yeah, you know, we were driving home and it's like being in a being in a dryer, and you know, washing machine, and you come out and you're like, whoa, what just happened there? Um, so, yeah, no, we're, we're planning on. I just don't think she's quite ready for Burley this year, which, which is a shame. Um, so we're hoping maybe to take her to Maryland, which would be quite exciting. I think everyone's quite looking forward to that. Um, and yeah, as long as she keeps on developing and doing what she does, then we'll be happy. Yeah, definitely. Well, it'd be uh, fun to take her take her across to the US and give that autumn five-star at Maryland a try. It's a really lovely event. I've been lucky to go out a couple of times. So yeah, be be great to take her there. And, and best of luck for that for the autumn, Caroline. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much. And thank you so much for sharing your Burley and Lenamore memories with us too. No, you're welcome. It's been a, been a pleasure and a privilege to ride them. Thank you so much to Caroline for joining us for that trip down the Lenamore memory lane. Now it's time to hear from the sponsor of this episode, Bailey's Horse Feeds. So it's over to Horse and Hounds Martha Terry and Bailey's equine nutritionist, Emma Short. Hello, I'm Martha Terry, Features Editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm delighted to welcome Emma Short from Bailey's to the podcast today. Emma is a, an equine nutritionist with Bailey's, and she's going to give us some advice on feeding a competition horse. Um, hi, Emma, how are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Brilliant, so let's crack straight on. Bailey's work with loads of riders competing across the disciplines and lots of different levels. What do you find some of the most common issues that they need to deal with as far as feeding is concerned? Yeah, there's, there's a few issues that tend to come up um, quite frequently. So one of those is knowing when to feed a competition feed or possibly when to increase the horse's nutrition. So essentially when a horse's workload is increasing, um, their nutrient requirements also increase. So it's trying to identify when, you know, workload is essentially going up and to ensure that we are supplying, you know, the correct balance of energy or calories um, protein or, or vitamins and minerals and what you can find is particularly for those that maybe hold their weight very well um, forage alone so hay haylage or grass um, can often supply adequate levels of calories because they're holding their weight well um, and they may well have potentially you know good levels of energy to support the extra work but what we do find at that point is that then they're lacking in protein, vitamins, and minerals. So it's really important that they, they can identify what level of work they are they are in. And if they're, you know, confused or not sure, then we have um, our how much to feed page, which tells you about sort of different work intensities, etc. On the website, which would be quite useful. Um, but choosing the the right competition feed, but maybe the the right amount of calories or energy is is also you know quite important, and that can be quite tricky. So you know, depending on the type of animals that you're feeding. So whether you need something that's maybe a little bit more slow release, so for more stamina or for those that maybe are a little bit more sort of hot-headed um, or whether actually you need a little bit more sort of quick release energy to, to provide, you know, a little bit more oomph for those that maybe are a little bit more sort of laid back. And I think it's really important here to just um, sort of mention that lower energy um, feeds 
are not formulated for moderate or harder levels of work. So they don't have adequate levels of nutrients. So with respect to vitamins, minerals and protein to support harder levels of work. So you might find that your horse um, is actually maintaining weight and condition very well on a lower energy um, feed, such as a high fiber cube, for example, um, but your workload is increasing. Now, the issue there is that your horse is obviously getting enough energy or calories from that feed, but obviously nutrient-wise, it is going to be too low. And that's where things like balancers, for example, can be very useful because they provide a very concentrated source of nutrients with respect to vitamins, your minerals, and your protein, but your calories and also your energy levels are very low. So, you know, that that is a really important factor. I think another thing that we we come across um, is lots of people have to overcomplicate their feeding regimes. And quite often the cases, you know, go onto a yard, go into a feed room, and there are a myriad of different supplements that are adding maybe to their base ration, possibly because they're maybe not feeding the right base ration initially um, for workload. And actually, you know, the, from my point of view, feeding should be really simple. You get get the forage right, get the bucket feed right, complement the forage. And you shouldn't really need lots of, you know, different supplements on top unless there's a specific issue. And there are exceptions to things like the digestive enhancers, things like electrolytes um, that I feel are important um, additions to the feed. Um, and forage is, forage is unfortunately one that's particularly when, when you're looking at the competition horse is one of those issues where maybe people don't maybe feed enough um, forage possibly for horses working at a higher level um, especially for those horses that are also good doers so forage can be restricted um, and what we've got to really remember here is that they should be being fed an equivalent or minimum of one and a half percent of their body weight um, as forage on a dry matter basis per day so what we have to allow for there is that's dry so when there's no water added so we need to actually increase that so we would look at timesing that by about 1.2 for hay or around one and a half 1.5 for haylage to account for the moisture content so forage is, is a big issue um and possibly looking at whether you need to soak so if there are too many calories maybe coming through from your forage do we maybe need to control that by maybe soaking the hay to reduce calorie intake if necessary and if you're lucky enough to have a horse that, you know, is, isn't, um, you know, holding too much weight and you can feed ad-lib forage, then brilliant. It's really important um, that we're maintaining enough fiber, even for those horses in, in harder levels of work. And actually, it can be a false economy um, to cut back on the amount of forage that you're feeding um, or maybe choose a poorer quality or maybe even a cheaper forage because that can have quite a big impact on the horse's weight, their condition in terms of muscle development, and that can all be affected. And actually that will all have an impact on how the, how well that horse performs. So you will then often find that, you know, you're feeding maybe more bucket feed to compensate, um, or then also topping up with supplements. So sort of looking at workload, evaluating, you know, what intensity your horses are doing, considering obviously the, the calorie or energy requirements if they're a good doer or whether they, they don't hold weight so well. And choosing the right feed is really important to complement the forage that, that you have available. That's brilliant. I love the way that you say it should be simple because I think that's music to a lot of writers' ears. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's what we all want. It's sort of, you know, the case of balancing a workload with their temperament and yeah, trying to find the happy medium. But it's, it's not always so straightforward. What about gast gastric ulcers? They're something that all riders are concerned about nowadays, aren't they? 
Yeah, absolutely. It is something that we all have to be aware of. Um, and I think the aim here is to adapt your feeding and also your you know, your feeding regimes and your management practices, try and reduce stress as much as we can and be as sympathetic to the horse's digestive system. Um, we also maybe need to have a look at where the ulcers are maybe occurring. So are they occurring in the top half of the, the stomach, so the, the squamous region? Or are they more in the glandular area? They are caused by by different problems. So most commonly you have ulcers in the squamous or the top part of the stomach. Um, and that's usually due to um, acid injury. So acid from the bottom half of the stomach, you know, splashing up and um, causing damage to the, the stomach lining. And if you have issues with glandular ulcers, it involves a, a failure, um, if you like, or a compromise um, with the integrity of the where sort of your mucus is is excreted, um, and that's in the lower portion of the stomach. So, it's obviously you need to get your vets involved so that you can get that diagnosed. Potentially also getting those treated correctly, um, but adjusting the diet can certainly significantly reduce symptoms, particularly if you're maybe feeding a higher starch or higher cereal-based diet. Um, so that's initially what we would look to do. So if you're feeding maybe something like a high cereal, high oat-based competition mix, for example, we would potentially look at reducing that um, to something with a higher fiber, higher oil content, um, so that we can reduce the acidity within the stomach. So your higher starch feeds tend to increase acidity within the stomach. So our, I, you know, we, we're looking to reduce that as much as we possibly can and looking at alternative energy sources or alternative calorie sources with your fibres and your oils in order to support, you know, whichever um, sort of work intensity your, your horse is in. Generally, um, it's accepted that your lower starch um, feeds will have less than 10%. Your reduced starch feeds will have anywhere between sort of 11 and 22%. And then higher starch-based products are usually in excess of sort of 30 32%. Um, so it's really important that we look at reducing starch. However, it's also important that we still ensure that our horses are getting the right levels of nutrients. So the essential protein, vitamins and minerals and calories or energy in, in a different format. So as I say, from oils or fiber and your fiber is really important. Um, you know, it's really important that we, um, in this situation, you know, offer as much forage as we possibly can, potentially increasing turnout. So treating our horses more naturally um, is certainly the way forward and making sure that, as I say, we put sort of management practices into, into place as well to try and reduce the incidence of, of ulcers from occurring. That's great. That's really helpful. Um, thinking about management, something that's probably quite difficult to manage is, is when riders go away to stay away shows, which is happening a lot at this time of year, midsummer or perhaps multi-day training camps. So what sort of things should they be thinking about as far as feeding their horses then is concerned? Yeah, absolutely. It can be quite tricky, can't it, to sort of maintain sort of the, the routine, obviously, that your horses are used to, and that can have its own implications. I suppose the biggest issue that we come across in this instance um, is, again, going back to forage again, um, in the fact that, you know, we know that the forage is imperative with our horses' diets. Um, so actually trying, if you're able to take as much of your own hay or haylage with you to a show is, is imperative. So to, to ensure that you've got enough there to last you for however long you're going to be at your event or your show. And in an ideal world, making sure that you're taking more than you probably need in case you have a situation where you, you're having to stay maybe for, for a longer length of time. Um, 
Haylage is generally more convenient when you're traveling because obviously it's wrapped and it comes in smaller bales. Um, so what we do find is that a lot of competition riders will potentially sort of be feeding, say, hay, for example, at home. Um, and then because haylage is easier to um, travel with, they will then move their horses onto haylage whilst they're away. Now, this has um, two issues, really, two complications. So the first one is that you are suddenly changing your horse's diet. So forage doesn't seem to sort of, people don't think about forage as, as changing their diet. But if you think about it, they're being fed forage in the, you know, the largest portion. So it has a big impact on our horses. So you're going potentially from a hay-based diet to a haylage-based diet. So that can have implications with things like colic or clinical issues. But also, secondly, you're changing the nutrient or energy contribution of your horse's diet as well. So you may have maybe a hay, a hay at home that's you know, very digestible, soft, it's got very good levels of energy or calories, the nutrient levels are, are reasonably good. And then you may be going to maybe a haylage that maybe isn't as digestible, it may be more fibrous, it may have less energy, less nutrients. And that obviously can have, again, an impact on, on how our horses are performing whilst they're away because their diet has suddenly changed. Um, so if if that is the case and you are sort of taking um, things like your wrapped haylages with you, um, it's really important that you adapt your horses prior to you traveling, prior to you going away, just like you would do if you were changing your bucket feed. So, you know, minimum of sort of 10 to 14 days, preferably longer, um, so that your horses are already on that forage before you travel, so that they've had time to adapt and you can make any adjustments to your hard feed prior to you going to your competition is really important. It's also important that if you are, have got a horse that's holding its weight very well, um, and therefore you do soak, you do soak your forage or you have respiratory issues, so you're steaming, we're doing the two together, then you take obviously the necessary equipment because again, if you don't soak or you don't steam whilst you're away, that can obviously have again implications from a nutrient point of view, but also from a respiratory point of view. So just be prepared. Quite often you might find that, you know, it's a different environment, there's a lot going on. Um, horses might be a little anxious and some horses um, may back off their forage they may be not eating as much um, again that has implications with not getting enough nutrients or energy and it can also affect obviously their you know gut health as well forage is really important to keep the gut healthy keep the bacterial um, populations and the hindgut healthy so if they're not eating enough fiber um, that can obviously you know have an impact so maybe taking some forage alternatives like some chaffs or some alfalfas or beet. Again, make sure that your horses are used to eating this because again, you know, you, you're going to be changing their diet otherwise too quickly, which again has its own implications. Um, but all of those types of um, products will help to increase fiber intake and hand grazing is a great option when you're away. If your horses have access to grass, then you know, getting them out and getting some grass into them um, is a great way of providing fiber, nutrients, but also, you know, some extra fluid because the moisture content is higher in grass. So that's great. Um, make sure you're taking a normal feed um, so that your horse's diet is staying the same and you're not changing it. If you are having to adapt your feed um, prior to competition, so maybe you have a horse that's a, a good doer, holds its weight well, and actually during competition times, you do need to increase energy content. Um, for a short period of time, then you need to be doing that prior to an event. So don't do it whilst you're there. You need to be doing that maybe a week or so prior to going or feeding very small amounts, maybe a few days prior to you going, but try not to do it when you're at an event. Um, and make sure, again, you're taking enough feed. 
you might use more than than you need to. You might, you know, have an issue with your lorry breaking down. You might need to, you know, so to have a little bit extra than maybe you think you need. So always take extra with you so you don't run out and 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 have issues. Um, electrolytes and salt are really important when you're traveling your horses. Your horses will sweat when they're traveling. Um, and obviously if you're competing um, and, and working them a little harder whilst you're away, um, then electrolytes are, are really important to help with that rehydration and recovery. And actually your electrolytes will generally, well, they will provide a sort of a quicker means of replenishment, particularly when you're traveling and, and during harder levels of work um, and through competitions compared to maybe just forage or salt. So, you know, electrolytes and encouraging, obviously, you know, water consumption is, is really important so that your horses are hydrated at, at all times. And actually keeping your horses hydrated and using electrolytes um, will actually delay the onset of, of fatigue and support recovery. So if you're competing, it's, you know, it is very important. You may also possibly want to consider things like your digestive enhancers. So maybe a prebiotic, for example, um, in order to support the bacterial populations because it can be stressful. Your horse is traveling, they're in a different environment. So, you know, your, your digestive enhancers can, enhancers can, can support correct gut health and, and reduce sort of that, that anxiety. So they're, they're generally sort of some little tips um, that, that we tend to sort of recommend. But forage is, is one of the big issues that I'd say that a lot of people do. So it's really important to try and do those changes gradually if you can or or take if you can take what you're already feeding um you know at home yeah that's fascinating how much preparation is key i think we think a lot about it if we're going to a show for training but perhaps not so much in actually preparing our food our horse for what food or electrolytes or all these things that they might not be used to, to doing in a different environment yeah and and then you get home and what sort of things should you consider feeding wise after it's all over yeah, so absolutely. So recovery essentially starts as soon as you get off your horse at the event. So it's really important that we are supplying and replenishing your nutrients, your protein, your bits and mins, um, as well as energy or calories that your horse has, you know, utilised throughout your competition and also through the travelling process. Um, so normal feed, um, especially if the horse is going to be turned out, is key. So you may find that you need to reduce the amount of hard feed that you're feeding, particularly if you're feeding higher levels and more higher energy-based concentrate feed. So you may need to sort of cut those by half. And if that is the case, and if you're certainly reducing your concentrate feed right back um, in order to reduce energy or calories, which also maybe doesn't need it, or they're having maybe an extended um, holiday, so several days off where maybe you feel they don't need the extra calories, um, then what we may need to do is consider looking to topping up with something like a balancer. Balancers give you your vitamins, your minerals, your protein without the calories. And it just ensures that we are providing you know, the right nutrients, including things like your antioxidants, which are really important for muscle integrity um, and for recovery. Um, it's not quite so vital if you're feeding maybe a lower energy feed or you're feeding a balancer for those horses that are maybe in lower levels of work. Um, so those types of products can be maintained and um, maintained throughout sort of your, your days off. Lots of people also love to feed a mash, you know, when their horses um, have, a, have, you know, come back from a competition because they feel it's a comforting thing. The issue with that um, is that, again, you're changing the diet very quickly. So that could potentially disrupt hindgut bacteria, which obviously we don't want to do. If you like the idea of feeding them something soft or maybe, you know, something warm, particularly in the winter months, 
Um, then actually we tend to recommend that you feed your normal um, horses feed um, and that maybe you add warm water um, to their, their normal bucket feed and, and go um, sort of that through those means rather than changing their diet completely. You may also want to consider, again, digestive support. So if you have been feeding something like a digestive enhancer, a pro or prebiotic, um, particularly whilst you've been away, then you may want to continue with that um, once you're home, again, to support um, bacterial populations because they, you know, their routine has changed and they are very sensitive to change. So that is a useful thing to continue with. And also potentially also electrolytes or salt. So sodium is typically low within our forages. So actually feeding salt on a daily basis is beneficial and potentially electrolytes in order to make sure that we're replenishing not only salt, but we're also replenishing fluid intake as well. So if our horse has been traveling and competing, they may have been sweating more than normal. And actually we need to try and replenish that um, as much as we can. And return to your normal level. So as soon as you start your horses back into work again, make sure that you're returning to, to normal feed levels. Um, but the key is to try and be consistent as much as you can. Try and keep everything as normal as you can. Um, and if your horses are maybe only having sort of a day out, then actually I'd suggest that you just continue normally and that you don't necessarily change your feed or, or make you know significant reductions in how much you're feeding if your horses are going to be back in work again relatively quickly. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Ella. That's given us plenty to think about feeding our competition horses so that they can perform at their best. And thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Emma, for all that great insight. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode of the Horse and Hound podcast, supported this month by Bailey's Horse Feeds. We'll be back at the end of September when we'll have not just one, but two very special guests in the form of legendary show jumping brothers, John and Michael Whitaker. We look forward to speaking to you then. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.